welcome to the very first episode of Yo MTG Taps. We are your hosts. I am Big Head Joe. And I'm just Joe. And I'm just Joe too. Except for when I say I'm Big Head Joe. <laughs> which makes it sound like I'm someone different. Which I am, because I'm not this Joe over here. Right, you're listening to a podcast with two hosts named Joe, so it could be confusing, but uh, hopefully we'll get through it or figure out a way to make it not so confusing. It'll be easy to differentiate between the two of us, because sometimes I get obnoxiously loud for no reason. So anytime, the person who constantly blows out your eardrums will probably be me. Hopefully that won't be the case, but we'll see. So I think for this episode, we're just going to kind of go over an intro of who we are and, you know, kind of give you an idea of our history. I mean, we don't have a storied history in terms of, like, magic success, but um, it's certainly a long history. We promise that after we get through, we just have to get over this little hump of introducing ourselves and talking about the past. We need to bring ourselves up to today and up to Zendikar. So bear with us while we get all of this out of our system and we'll start bringing you some current content. This isn't going to always just be us, you know, BSing about the past. We're actually going to talk about magic and strategy and casual variants and active playing and not just let me vaguely remember what cards were in my deck from 15 years ago, which I admit <laughs> I'm a little more vague than Joe. Um, I still have most of my decks. That's true. <laughs> You've, I've traded all of my stuff away over the years. So just bear with us right now while we go through our past and kind of and give you a sense of, of our magic history and you know where we're coming from. We've both been playing this game for around 14 years. Is that right? 14, or has it been 15 for you? You It will be be 15 for me coming up in January. Right, and then for me in, like, I guess, what, June or July? Right, right. And that's around when I started. I know that school was out for the summer. Right. And you had, we we met, like, the year before that. Right. We were already friends for a while because we were in Pinocchio together. (laughs) School play. School play. I was in sixth grade, and Joe was in eighth, and we both really liked Nirvana, so... Here we are now. Yeah. Thank you, Kurt Cobain. I'm wearing a Nirvana shirt right now. Yeah. <laughs> so my name's Joe Pasco. Like Joe said, I've been playing since uh, 1995, early 95. And I have always been the uh, tournament-focused player, always reading the coverage and finding decks online and trying to play the, the best decks all the time. The I guess the epitome of a spike. And Joe... I, yeah, I'm definitely more of a Johnny, and I would say a Vorthos in a way, too, because, yeah, I've definitely liked to play with weirder cards over the years and trying to break cards that aren't considered to be any good. I also like more of the tribal themes, like, I mean, I've had a zombie deck together for years, and now it's my zombie EDH deck. I also consider myself a rogue in terms of deck building and definitely into casual variants, um, different multiplayer formats. Yeah, speaking of the Vorthos category, I definitely have a lot of that there too because uh, uh, what attracted me to the game initially was the art and originally I would just watch people play because I didn't even care to learn it. I just wanted to watch and uh, kind of admire the artwork. Even over the years since uh, I guess 1997 or 98, I started reading all the Magic the Gathering novels, so I'm heavily invested in the flavor and the storyline as well. Some of you might actually remember us. We are two of the uh, the three people that shared the, the cat urine soaked hostel room in New York City at Worlds 2007 with uh, with Tom from MTG Cast. Okay, so uh, so Joe, Big Head Joe, uh, w- what are your favorite kind of decks as, well, far, as far as play style is concerned? Well, play style, um, in general, I'm aggro player. Right now, my favorite deck that I've been playing is, is the mono red ball lightnings and health spark elementals, just kind of crazy deck. Also, boys like combo to a degree. I've never been too successful with it, but decking decks are a lot of fun for me. How about you? Uh, I'm definitely a control player. I I just like slow control decks that kind of build up to a big ending, being able to keep creatures off the board, keep the other player from doing whatever the point of their strategy is. 
I think that over the years, I can safely say that your decks have kind of been like a symphony, and mine are kind of like a punk rock song that ends with the stage smashed. And An interesting <laughs> analogy. Uh, although I can't really call them all my decks because most of the time I'm uh, I'm just getting them off of the internet. Well, I mean, the decks that you play. Right, right. Okay, I get it. What is the internet? The internet, um, yeah. So uh, what's your favorite color in Magic historically over the time that we've been playing? Historically, my favorite color in Magic is has been green. I mean, I've played decks of all colors, but my first real deck that I used to play was a mono green aggro get a force of nature out on turn three and hopefully kill you by turn five kind of deck. I've had that deck together since 1995 or so, and it's still not sleeved and it's still disgusting and, and fun to play. How about, how about you? My favorite color, I would say overall with Magic, is probably blue, although I didn't play it for uh, probably the first five or six years that I was playing Magic, I, I barely played any blue decks. But when I look back at blue decks that were popular or doing well in tournaments, even in the, the mid and late 90s, uh, those are decks that I, I like to see, that I like to read about, and I continue to like to read about those kinds of decks and play those kinds of decks. Hey, Plug, I've heard of a blog. I think it's called Affinity for Islands. Isn't that the name of, of a blog that's just started in the blogosphere? That's right. Um, I did just start a blog last week. The address is affinityforislands.com. As you can tell from the name, it is about my love of playing blue and control decks in general, but mainly blue-based control decks. Similarly, my blog is about copying Joe. It's called Otherworldly Journey, which promptly started the second I saw Joe had a blog. I'm like, crap, that's a really good idea. Okay, quick, gonna throw a blog together too, which I mean, I, I mean, it was something that would have happened eventually anyway. What's the address to your blog? My address? Oh, it's 3004 Ellerslie Avenue, Baltimore. Oh, wait, you can also find it on otherworldlyjourney.blogspot.com. So overall, do you have a favorite magic card or cards? I'd say I'd say there are two, and uh, it's Defense of the Heart, which is an old one. Look it up if you aren't familiar with it. From Urza's Legacy. You know, drawn by Rebecca Guay, and I love the artwork on it. Plus, it let me go and dig up free creatures out of my library, which and it cost four, which was cheaper than my Force of Nature. So I definitely liked it because of that. The other card that I just have a very fond place for in my heart and my pants is Wheel and Deal. I have won games with Wheel and Deal. I just want to put that out there right now into the world. I have won games with Wheel and Deal, yes. which everyone roundly rejected as the worst card in Onslaught, which immediately made me determined to find a way to win with the damn card because I just love breaking crappy cards. So uh, I, I have a kind of a short list of seven cards, actually, but I'll just mention them all. And then I'll, uh, Teferi, Mage of Zalfir is uh, one that I like the whole lot. The, the flash ability and giving other creatures flash. Flash is my favorite creature ability in the game. I love being able to play creatures whenever I want. Um, so that was a big one. Uh, Dolkin Shackles, Cryptic Command, Venser, Shaper Savant, another guy that has flash. And then, uh, oddly enough, Oran Viper and Troll Ascetic are two of my favorite cards. And lastly, Maze of Ith is one of my favorite cards. I've always loved that, that we, land. We had uh, a Maze of Ith that was in our play group for years and years. I must have finally traded it when I was in Texas, I think. I traded it off. The reason why it was in our play group for so long and didn't make it out was because somebody had the wonderful idea of taking a Sharpie marker and blacking in the border to, to clean to, it up. To clean it. Right, right, right. Not really clean it, but, you know, fill in the, any kind of, like the dents and the nicks and stuff. I definitely did that. I can't, was I the one that did it the days of it? I think I'm so, like, yeah. I definitely have uh, some white border cards that are black border because I sharpie them. But, you know, really old cards. Not any good cards, don't worry. But I think out of all those, my favorite card is actually Badalkin Shackles. I loved when that card was in standard. That And because I play against Joe, I hated it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your favorite deck you've ever played? 
my favorite deck that I've ever built besides my mono green aggro deck is my blue decking deck that I like to call Wheel and Deal for the win. It, it has things such as mesmeric orbs and wheel and deals and lots of counter magic and just trying to slow you down while I suck your library dry. I don't know how appropriate that was. How about you? What's your favorite deck? <laughs> Uh, this is a tough question, and I, I thought about it a lot this morning. Yeah. It, it was between Mono Blue Control from around Mirrodin Kamigawa Block Standard. The one with um, the shackles. Right, the one that has the Dolphin shackles in it. Mono Black Control from Odyssey Onslaught Standard. Mm -hmm. And the one that actually, I think, is my favorite deck is Mystical Teachings from Time Spiral Block. It's blue-based control, it's got black to deal with creatures, and it's got tutors. It's a toolbox deck, I can pull whatever I want, I can counter things, I can kill things. I love that deck. So we figured today, you know, along with our introduction, we'd take a little trip down memory lane and tell you about our journey as players and our story. Or yearning, if you will. Or yearning, apparently. So I guess, you know, we'll tell you how we got into the game. As I mentioned earlier, in fall of 1994, I was a freshman in high school, and I saw some guys playing this game, and at first I was just content to watch it because I just liked the artwork. But by January 1995, I had decided to buy some cards. My cousin and I went to the mall, and we each had about 20 bucks, and I didn't want to spend all my money on magic cards because I wasn't sure I was going to like it. So I bought the Bush 16 Stone CD, and a starter deck of revised edition. And my cousin spent all his money on magic cards. But uh, that first day, we played, we tried to teach ourselves how to play, and we got our mana pools mixed up with our life totals. And so uh, I had the, the card Drain Power in my revised starter deck, which drains the other player's mana pool. So every time I played the card, we thought his life total went to zero, and he lost the game. <laughs> Obviously, that uh, that wasn't correct. And we knew we weren't playing it correctly, but we couldn't figure out what we were getting wrong. At first, I just had that starter deck. I saw another kid at school had opened a Shivan Dragon, and everybody was crazy about it. And then, eventually, I saw Force of Nature, and I thought, this card's way better than Shivan Dragon. It's 8-8, trample. You know, Shivan Dragon's just 5-5, flying. The fact that it had upkeep, you know, so what? I have an 8-8. So I eventually managed to get a Force of Nature, but at that point, all I had was Force of Nature and the, most of the cards from the starter deck. So I wasn't doing you know, very well, and I kind of lost interest, and by April of 1995, I gave my cards to my cousin for his birthday. All of my cards. So then summertime came around, and my cousin was one of my best friends at the time, and him and I were hanging out, and we decided we'd teach another friend of mine how to play Magic, even though I wasn't too into it. I figured, okay, why not? That kind of snowballed. We ended up teaching Joe how to play that summer, and I'll let Joe take it from here. We seem to have conflicting memories as to where I learned how to play cards, or at least you oh. are just kind of vague on it, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because we taught Kenny and we taught Right, right. I'm pretty sure that we were at a pizza shop called Maria's in Rosedale, and they were showing me how to play, and I had a white deck, some sort of deck with white in it at least. I just remember playing a Mesa Pegasus. That's all I remember from the whole interaction was playing a Mesa Pegasus, and it was the first creature I had ever played in Magic. It's kind of a lame creature type. Sorry, Pegasus fans. But... Regardless, didn't matter what it was, I got to turn land sideways and play a creature, and I've never been the same. So yeah, that summer, 1995... Uh, How did people podcast in 1995? That I don't know. Mixtapes. That's true. It was mixed casts. Cassette, cassette casts. Cassette casts. Beautiful. So uh, that was the summer that Ice Age was released. And that is what actually really got me into the game. I was actually in Ocean City, Maryland, which is where my family goes every year for vacation. And there happened to be a card convention in, in the mall down there, and Ice Age had just been released, and I was looking through these new cards and was, like, really into it. So I, I bought a bunch of cards, including what I think may have been 11 copies of Keldon Warlord, Black Border Beta Keldon Warlord, because at the time I thought it was a good card, and I knew that since it was from Beta, it would be worth more. But as it turns out, it was probably not worth more than maybe a buck or two, which is about what I paid for them anyway. I made a point to you last night when we were chatting. Why are all of the Ice Age block sets released in the summer? 
Yeah, Alliances was June 96, and then Cold Snap was July, uh, July 2006. Right. I was just going to mention something about Chronicles, which actually came out about a month after Ice Age. Oddly enough, seems like a really quick turnaround for sets, but Chronicles was an all-reprint set from sets like, what was it, Antiquities and Arabian Nights. I'm not sure. I don't the think... Dark. Was the dark in Chronicles? I Definitely. I really feel like it was, but you could be right. I could be wrong. So anyway, yeah, that came out. I remember I was really excited about the card, The Wretched. For whatever reason, that was a card that really attracted me to try to build around. And uh, also in that set, cards that I built my decks around were Dakin Blackblade, Solkanar the Swamp King, and Johan. Those were the main focus of my deck at the time. Uh, you can tell it was multiple colors, but for whatever reason, that I didn't seem to have a problem playing with basic lands and four and five color decks. And my deck at that time, I believe, was about 100 cards, and yeah, it had Stasis and Sarah Angels... And like I don't even remember I don't even remember what else. Those are the only two cards that come to mind when I think of that deck. It was so ridiculous and bad. Every once in a while I would lock the game down and it would just be awful and mean. But most of the time I just lost, I think. I'm guessing. I'm thinking about that deck. I mean, I may have won sometimes. But... I mean, I guess it had to happen sometimes. I can't really specifically say it. You're right. The Dark Legends, Arabian Nights, and Antiquities. Antiquities were the sets, it looks like, that were reprinted in Chronicles. We may be missing one, but it was at least those. So, yeah, that, that was in July 1995. Shortly thereafter was Homelands, which... Uh, we were excited about it at the time, but looking back, it was a terrible set. Terrible. Only, only two noteworthy cards, both of which I think are still terrible, but at the time, they were pretty big. It was Autumn Willow and Baron Senjir. Those were the two big deal cards. And surprisingly, Baron Senjir is still going for like 5 to $7 online. Which makes absolutely no sense. Um, it doesn't. It really doesn't. I tried to justify it last night when you said it doesn't make any sense, but... And then my justification was immediately just blown to hell. I was well, like, what that's... He, re he taps to regenerate a vampire. Like, I don't care how many vampires in your deck. Why are you waiting till turn 8 to play something that can regenerate them and you're not going to attack with it? You're just going to play this guy who can tap to regenerate on... Well, there were dark rituals around back then. Okay, fine. What, turn 5? Turn 4? <laughs> uh, it's still terrible. What a terrible card. What other vampire besides Senjir Vampire was there to regenerate? Krovican, Krovican Vampire? Oh. There were other vampires. That was actually a pretty cool vampire. I liked that one. So um, did I. I don't remember what it did, but... it would gain You gain control of creatures that it killed, and it got oh, plus one, plus one counters. That's right. Here we go. Yeah. At the okay, Krovican Vampire is a 3-3 three, three for 3 colorless and 2 black. Creature, Vampire, at the beginning of the end step, this is from the new oracle wording, at the beginning of the end step, if a creature dealt damage by a Krovican Vampire this turn was put into a graveyard, put that card onto the battlefield under your control, sacrifice it when you lose control of Krovican Vampire. So I got it half right. Uh, it doesn't get any counters, but... Right, right, yeah. Still, they, they should reprint that. They should. Maybe they... No, it's no, Krovigan. It's Krovigan. Yeah, never mind. So yeah, that summer our decks were all about putting like anything that we thought was awesome into a deck. And as I mentioned, you know, multicolor cards. Uh, definitely was playing some sort of five-color deck and still winning with it somehow. Must because my deck was so clunky and bad. <laughs> my deck was pretty clunky and bad too. You know, I think back then, Kenny really had the best deck out of all of us. But he wasn't winning. I don't remember him winning that often. He had like a mono-black deck, I think. He was building around vampires. But we could also be confusing that with a couple years later. So anyway, also in Homelands, we did forget to mention a card that I did play was Aaron the Relentless. Yes. Which was, uh, you know, it's like a 5-2 haste or something. Yes, um, for three red. No, he was he was a three colorless and two red. Ugh. He was a five two. Ugh. Can attack the turn it comes to play on your side. Nice. And for three red, you could regenerate him. So that's only you only need eight mana up for him, right? Yeah, he's much. a five two. Yeah. That's a lot that's of power, boy. Fantastic. That's a lot of power. So yeah, around this time, it's getting to be about fall of 1995. I said that 
I'm sorry. Yeah, something going. One more thing about Homeland. Just looking back at the set now, it's crazy because only one card, Baron Senjir, is worth more than a dollar. And this is the same set that did give us Merchant Scroll, and I'm almost certain gave us Memory Lapse, too. Yeah, you're right. And for some reason, those two cards in their original printings aren't more than a dollar. I, I just find that really hard to believe. So, sorry, go on. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, so this fall, you know, we I think we started kind of branching out and trying all kinds of different decks. Um, I remember being absolutely obsessed with Hidden Path. <laughs> yeah, it's a green enchantment from, let's see, uh, the dark, which is what I thought. It costs four green and two colorless. All green creatures gain Forest Walk. I just was absolutely consumed with the idea of using this and Gaia's Liege to make all my creatures unblockable. Although, I never did get a hidden path. I just wanted one really bad, and I would write down decks in my notebooks in high school. You never had a hidden path? I don't think I ever got a hidden path. That's really weird. I, I almost swear I remember you playing that against me. Yeah, I might have... Well, I don't know. Our proxies back then were, you know, Sharpies written on a land card, but we weren't proxying for the fact that we cards we didn't have. We were proxying because there were no sleeves at the time, so any card that we thought was valuable, we left out of the deck and put it in like a hard case or something, and then just proxied it up on a land. So cards like Send Your Vampire and Icy Manipulator, both uncommons, but we didn't know that. We thought they were rare. Both of them uh, were proxies in our deck. Wasn't um, Sarah Angel an uncommon still back then? Yeah, Sarah Angel. Yeah. One of the first decks that I built that I was like extremely excited about was four times Icy Manipulator, four Royal Assassin, four Sorcerer's Queen, and then you know a bunch of probably other random black terrible cards. But <laughs> I was just so excited to be able to like tap your Order. creature and kill it. And I just remember the day I came home after having all, all those, and I was so excited. Eben Prater. I didn't play Eben Prater. That's a tough one to say. That Bonus point. points if you can spell that one, folks. P-R-A-E-T-O-R. Shh, that was a bad I'm going to see if I'm right. You are right. I'm right! Well, I knew you were right. Oh, well, sorry. I want a bonus. Oh, that's enough. Oh, Fallen Empire. Oh, it's Fallen Empire. That's why I didn't play it, because I was told by someone early on that Fallen Empires was a terrible set, so I never bought any Fallen Empires. So, yeah, also that fall, I remember building a deck around Colossus of Sardia, Instill Energy, Juggernaut, and Salt of Golem. It was an Instill Energy deck. I was putting that on, you know, on the Colossus, on the Soul to be Golem, but also on Findhorn Elder and uh, Land War Elves and Birds of Paradise, things like that, just to uh, ramp up. It's basically a green mana ramp deck trying to ramp up to Colossus of Sardia. That's what I remember from, from fall of 1995, the decks that, that I was playing. Do you have any more memories about that? When did we actually sign up for DCI? 1997. It's 97, so yeah, it was yeah. a ways ago. Right. At this point, we didn't know what the DCI was. I think we had an idea that there was something called the DCI, and they were the people that, That's, made, that made the rules, but the news would trickle down to us so slowly. It was like, when in the rule book that I had, the minimum... Card, or the minimum deck size was 40 cards, the revised rulebook. So I was building 45 card decks just so I could have like a third of the deck, you know, easy math, there are 15 lands in the deck and then, you know, 30 other cards. That was why I was building 45 card decks. And then we heard, oh no, it has to be 60 cards now. So when we started building 60 card decks, it was one of those things that any rule changes, we just didn't know for a long time. That really helps me fill in my timeline a little better because we probably did quit then after like Homelands came out. Yeah, we, we had stopped playing after Christmas 1995, oddly enough. We both got boxes of Ice Age for Christmas because also the thing about Ice Age was it was the first standalone expansion set. Every other set that came out was meant you know, to be played with... It, it didn't have basic lands. There were no basic lands in Homelands or Chronicles. Those were just regular kind of expansion sets. But Ice Age was printed and actually like advertised as being standalone. Like you could just play with Ice Age cards, and that seemed so appealing for some strange reason. I, yeah. I, I don't know, but that, so that's what we ended up getting. I and um, Joe and I both got our boxes of Ice Age for Christmas, and then I got a box of Homelands for my birthday, which was a wonderful investment. And then we both immediately quit, probably because Homeland sucks so much. <laughs> I'm just guessing, you know, I mean, I'm guessing that's why we quit. Yeah, we stopped hanging out for a while. 
That was part of it. Too. Wasn't it that time? It was right, right. It was right at that time. By fall of 1997, we were remembering how much we loved playing Magic, so we, we got right back into it. So Weatherlight had been the most recent set, which I think was spring 97, and I remember seeing Thundermare in a case at the card store at Legends in Towson, which was in the mall, and it was 13.99 or something, and I was like, oh man, that card is awesome. When it hits play, it taps all your creatures, and I can attack you for five? That's fantastic. Like, I thought it was amazing, and I wanted it, and I wanted to spend $13 on it, too, but $13 at the time was money I didn't have. So, uh, luckily for me, I didn't buy a Thundermare for $13. <laughs> also, around this time, I, I, I had somehow switched to being, like, mono-red, like, totally obsessed with mono-red. So, it was, uh, I wanted Thundermare. I had, like, a lot of haste creatures, like um, Viachino Sandstalker and Cicada Lancer, Lightning Bolts, Incinerates, things like that. And then I saw Balduvian Hordes, which had come out in Alliances, which I had missed, but it was still in Standard, and it was like a $20 card. Again, I didn't have the money for these kind of cards, but there was a guy who was in Joe's class who seemed to have a lot of good cards. Uh, he must have had eight, ten, twelve Balduvian Hordes or something. So he was willing to let me humiliate myself doing ridiculously stupid dares and he would give me Balduvian hordes to do it. So I did things like wearing a dress to the mall for the uh, on the Sunday tournament. At the time, I, I kind of felt like I was being obnoxious by wearing a dress to the mall also, kind of just to uh, to piss people off a little bit. But I was like, I'm getting Balduvian hordes out of this too. So that was when we signed up for our DCI cards at that tournament, at those, at those tournaments, not the one when I was in the dress. But it's, right. we started going to a tournament every Sunday. In 1997. We started, we started going to the tournaments, and then I'm pretty sure that by the time Tempest came out, that was when Ice Age and Alliances had gone out of standard, wasn't it? Like, or was there even, there was Type 2 back then. That and, sounds about right, I'm not sure. But I definitely didn't play standard for a while, because I wanted to play with all of my cards. I just didn't think it was fair, after collecting all those cards, to be told, now you can't use this card anymore. So... I just kept the same green deck together, and I played that green deck from, like, the time we had started playing. I remember trading Birds of Paradise for Llanowar Elves because I figured, oh, I don't need Birds of Paradise because I just need green mana. I don't need mana of any color. That's terrible. Yeah, it is. So Tempest came out, and Rappy Dragon was in that set, mm -hmm. and I we went... To Legends, the day Tempest was released, and all I wanted was Rathy Dragon out of that set, and I must have bought like four packs and a pre-con. A pre-constructed deck was like a new thing then. It was the first set that had pre-constructed decks, and I bought this Slivers pre-constructed deck. Uh, slivers were new then too, and uh, I remember loving the pre-constructed deck, but out of my four packs, I did pull a Rathy Dragon, and I was like ecstatic, because five fives for four were apparently Juzam Dijin, and obviously that was incredible card, so... This one was flying. Yeah, this one was flying, and all I had to do was sacrifice two mountains when it came into play. <laughs> it won you a lot of games against my green deck. Yeah, well, see, that was the thing. The red deck, it got pretty strong, like, I mean, at least among us. And I would have a lot of situations where I was sitting there with enough burn in my hand to win the game, and I would just sit there and keep playing until it got to a point where one of you guys was like, all right, I'm going to attack you with everything. I'm like, all right, sack two mountains, fire blast you. You're dead. Just burn you out. It was kind of an asshole thing to do now that I think about it. But at the time, I just thought I was like letting you guys play longer rather than just winning right away. But see, then we went to those tournaments, and it was terrible. I was terrible. I would lose. And I didn't have a sideboard because I thought it was cheesy. I don't think any of us had sideboards. Mm -hmm. What the hell is a sideboard? We thought it was like, why would you uh, change your deck just to hose somebody else's deck? We didn't like those cheesy things like counter spells and circle of protection Ugh. and things like that. We didn't want to Still don't like circle of, of protection. Well, fair enough. Yeah, it was like we didn't want to play those kind of cards and Pyroblast and Hydroblast and things like that, uh, Flash Fires. We wanted our decks to stand on their own and not have to modify them in between games just to beat our opponent's decks. So yeah, I was terrible in those tournaments, and that was probably why I stopped playing in standard tournaments for a while. At that point, we just started playing what we wanted to play. Right, we, um, we were still showing up every Sunday. Yeah, we would show like up and trade. Now. We would show up and trade and play casually but not actually enter the tournaments. So yeah, I remember around that same time I had bought a deck from my cousin that had, uh, wouldn't you know, four Birds of Paradise in it, hmm. um, four Taigas, which I wish I kept. Oh man, he, he probably got one of those for me too. <laughs> 
four Shivan Dragons, four Whirling Dervish, four Gosbon Ogre. It was like a red green aggro deck with like Concordant Crossroads and things like that. I remember, I like, I distinctly remember the day he was trading for all that stuff, and it was when he was trading for my furs. I remember the Gosbon Ogres too. Spring '98, I was graduating high school, and we stopped for a couple months. I think even up into the summer, and I think it was. Urza Block. Yeah, Urza Block came out in the fall that year, but we didn't play. Not until summer of 99. So actually, it was, you know, almost a year and a half time that went by. And it might have been spring 99. I kind of started wanting to play again. I know I started going to this new store and hearing about cards like Mastercore and Morphling. I didn't know why they were good. And I remember asking the guy that worked there, and he explained to me why it was good why these cards were good, and so, you know, it started to become clearer to me, and at this point, I think, was the turning point for me, as far as, in a way, like, the net decking kind of thing, like, all right, I'm going to know what's good, I'm not seeing what's good on my own, let me see what everybody else, what good players think are good cards, and maybe I'll learn something, and that's, that was kind of the cataclysmic event there, so not, not so cataclysmic, I guess, but yeah, a turning point, and I, I also remember talking to him about Cursed Scroll, which had been released in Tempest, but at the time was still standard legal. I just didn't understand why that card was good. I remember Kenny had pulled multiples out of his packs from Tempest, and he probably traded them away at like two bucks each, because we didn't understand why it was good. He just kept pulling Cursed Scrolls, you know, and then by this point, Curse Scroll was about an $18 card, and uh, I needed to get those too. And, and at this point, I had a job and disposable income, and so suddenly I was buying boxes of Urza's Destiny and buying Cursed Scrolls on eBay, this, you know, which at the time I think was new. So yeah, I, I remember at that time I built a deck based around Wildfire and Artifact Mana, and Masticore and Cursed Scroll and Covetous Dragon. I think I had gotten some tips from people, like, why don't you try playing this card? And... I think what it was was I had built, an, built kind of an artifact deck, and somebody said, why don't you play Wildfire in it? And basically my tweaks ended up being just a few cards different than the deck that Kai Buddy used to, I guess he won a Pro Tour with it in 1999. And I didn't know that at the time, but I, I found out after he had won that basically I had almost the same deck. My guess is that the people who were giving me tips had seen decks like this and you know they were they were telling me what was good yeah that was my first really good kind of tournament level deck what i remember about urza block the mysterious three sets in urza block is that urza saga came first and then there were two others I remember at that time I wasn't buying a lot of cards for whatever reason. And the one thing that really stands out to me about Urza Block was you and I had gone to a tournament back then, and it was um, at Strategic Castle, right? Yep, Strategic Castle in Bel Air. Bel Air, Maryland. And I was playing against this kid, and I think it was the first time I had ever seen a real combo deck. kid was playing me with Deranged Hermits, and Gaia's Cradles, and whatever the hell else was in that deck to make it work. Equilibrium, Stroke of Genius. It, it was a deck that basically made a ton of squirrels by like repeatedly bouncing Deranged Hermit. Opposition may have been in the deck, but it, I don't believe it, that was the... It wasn't Squirrel Opposition, which is kind of a unknown deck, but it was similar. Kept bouncing Deranged, deranged Hermits to produce a ton of squirrels, and then tap Gaia's Cradle for like ton of mana and stroke of genius you to deck you. I don't think that was it actually. Oh, it was something really similar to that. The deck that I was playing actually made like a hundred squirrels it and then attacked. attacked. Well, yeah. I mean, it could have done that too. If it had stroke of genius as a win condition, I never mm -hmm. saw it. Okay. But he attacked me with like a hundred squirrels. So my answer to that was, okay, I'll tap one and I'll throw a forest at you and I just started throwing forests at this kid and he was not taking it well he's like but I won but I won and I'm like well then I'm gonna tap one and I'm gonna throw a forest at you but I won but I won but I won he just couldn't take a joke he couldn't get the idea that Joe was messing around and being obnoxious I used to eat cards and rip them up as they went into the graveyard which I know is like actually a crazy casual variant <laughs> Um, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head right now, but I know that it, there's a variant where when the card goes to the graveyard, it's literally destroyed, which I guess really makes Rise to the Graves value drop in that format. Yeah, it's the same thing about regrowth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I used to like 
like someone would kill one of my lands and I would rip it up into pieces and like throw it behind my back and stuff like just do crazy stuff. I was I've always liked to just have fun playing this game and I haven't taken it too seriously. So when this kid pulls out this obnoxious Gaia's Cradle combo deck, I just couldn't help but start throwing my lands at him. I was like, he's like, you have an answer for that? I'm like, yes, I do. I'm going to throw a freaking land at you. And that was that's like the only memory I really have of that set, to be honest. So we went to the Mercadian Masks pre-release. Right, and by that point, I was building a combo deck that I had not actually net decked. It was my own design. I finished it at the pre-release, played it a little bit, didn't really like it, and just traded all the cards away. But it was Oath of Druids and Sneak Attack, which you know used to get out big creatures, which I would then fling. The main win condition was Sarah Avatar. So if I could, on turn you know two or whatever, drop an Oath of Druids, and on turn three get a Sarah Avatar out, who's 20-20 because the the power toughness was equal to my life total, and then cast Fling, you know, sacrifice the creature, deal damage equal to its power to target creature player and I would win so that was my combo I don't think it's really that bad of an idea but for whatever reason I, I think I got really bored of it really quick and it wasn't like it was winning all the time either or, or just losing all the time it's kind of average Mer- I mean I don't even remember that much about the Mercadian Masks pre-release and I think that is just because I wasn't really playing too seriously then right at I that point we went to the pre-release to try to trade for new cards for the from the new set yeah um, and kind of I just, think we would play, but we wouldn't do very well, and we just weren't good at sealed at all. We didn't play I mean, in that one. No, we might not have. I, I agree. I, I, I'm almost certain we didn't. Or I at least, I know I did not. All I know is that I wanted Two-Headed Dragon out of that set. What was the pre-release card? Overtaker, I think? Over... Yeah, something like that. Overtaker, he was a spell shaper that basically turned anything into a ray of command, which untapped target creature and gained control of it until end of turn. That creature gains haste until end of turn. Oh. Ray of Light by Madonna. That's a great song. I was thinking of the album. But, but I just wanted Two-Headed Dragon and cards for my fling deck, and I managed to get both, I think. I, I don't think I got more than one Two-Headed Dragon, but... If I had to guess, I would say that I was still playing my green deck at this point. Yeah, you probably were. Because at this point, I think we stopped again. You know, We had pretty much stopped. We went to the pre-release tournament to trade for some cards and probably just to kind of see where Magic was going. Like... We never, at any point, I would say, thought magic wasn't cool. We've never been, like, as as cool as we may have tried to be in our lives at any given moment. We never thought or, like, said, oh, magic, oh, that's for geeks. I don't like that. That's stupid. Like, we never really, like... Well, yeah, I didn't necessarily think magic was cool, but I didn't have any problem playing it or admitting that I played it. I loved the game like that. To me, it, and it's the same way I feel now, like, if people think it's dorky or geeky or whatever that's fine they don't have to play or if they're willing to listen i'll show them otherwise but it's a game like any other game you know there's these connotations that you know are attached to these kinds of games for whatever reason for the stereotype of the kind of player but obviously not everyone is like that and you know if people want to be close-minded about it and that's how i've always felt like if they want to be close-minded to it that's fine i'm going to keep playing whatever we we had stopped we I I feel like I stopped for a really long period of time. Well, with that this game. was our biggest break from the game. It yeah. was it went from fall '99 when Mercadian Masks came out until summer 2002. So it was was that three years? It, it was like summertime always made me start thinking about magic because I guess that's when I really started getting into magic. And so it would be like summer, and I'd be like, oh yeah, magic. That was fun. I'm gonna play that again. So I decided, you know what? I feel like building a reanimator deck. I'm gonna build. I don't care. What's in it? I'm going to take, you know, I know Dark Ritual's not in standard anymore and things. I'm going to build whatever I want. So I went online because at this point I was like, there's got to be some interesting things on the internet. Because even even in like 99, I wasn't really looking at the internet too much for, for things. But I found MTG News in in 2002 and looked on there for uh for deck lists for Reanimator and basically came up with a deck that ended up being Turn 1, Swamp. Dark Ritual, Entomb, search my library for whatever creature I wanted, and then use the two floating mana for Exhum, which is both players uh, choose a creature from their graveyard and put it into play. Turn one, nobody had anything in their graveyard unless they used Entomb like I had. So I was basically playing turn one, Laquatus' Champions, 
uh, Rhea Dawnbringer, Devouring Strassus, Penumbra Worm, uh, anything just huge. And, and that was a lot of fun, but it didn't take long. For time. you. Yeah, for me. But no, it, it was. It <laughs> no, was great. It was awesome. It was, it was exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, it didn't take long, though, for me to just start thinking, now I want to build a, a real tournament legal deck. Because by my birthday, the end of July 2002, we went to Waltz, which is another card store in Dundalk, Maryland. And I was buying cards and trying to build a red-green madness deck. And there were a bunch of guys there that were really friendly. Um, this was the first time I felt like outside of our play group and really outside of just the two of us and maybe Kenny or Tim, Tim that these people and were Neil like, for a while shouts out to Neil Loam and what up dog <laughs> outside of our play group that we had these people that were like really cool to us because they were helping me with my deck they were giving me uncommons that I needed without you know making me trade for them and things like that and so I remember building that deck so um, by the just to clarify, by the time we finally started playing again, all of Odyssey Block had been released. Yeah, actually, Judgment was had the just come out. Yeah, because I remember we were buying boxes of packs at this point. Like mm-hmm. we we kind of launched ourselves back into the game thanks to the beauty of having jobs and having money. And and I remember just going nuts that summer and buying so many boxes of packs. And I think it bears mentioning at this point that the first Psychotog that I ever opened out of an Odyssey pack, I immediately, upon seeing it, ripped it in half and threw it in the corner and kept going, ripping my packs open. Everyone, it's in my binder to this day, and everyone goes, why would you do that? And if you've been paying attention, I don't like net decks. So that's why. And no, it's not for trade. Well, see, and at this point, you had established that you didn't like net decks. I don't think you cared one way or the other. Not back then. But yeah, see, and but for it just me, kind of... I, I never cared about net decking because, as someone put it, not all the way back then, but a lot more recently, you know, Tiger Woods doesn't design his own golf clubs. He just knows how to use them. And so, you know, that I kind of apply that to net decking. It's kind of like, I, I want to be a good player and I'm going to get, you know, the strategy from players who are better deck designers than I am. Right. And, and I'm definitely not an enemy anymore of the net decks. You know, I mean, I still am of the impression that deck building is as important of an element of strategy as actual play. Although, if you want to be a better player sometimes, you just have to play with better cards. That's the reality of playing Magic. Because you can't beat the players that are playing the better cards if you're playing inferior cards. Right, right. But still, I I mean, regardless of my knowledge of that fact, I'm pretty damn stubborn. So I like to build my own decks, and I like to try to come up with my own strategies. And I I think that looking back at everything I haven't accomplished, the one thing that I can say that I have accomplished, and the one thing that I can say with certainty that a lot of Magic players these days can't say, regardless of my success, is that I have 15 years of deck-building experience, which isn't true because I've only been playing for 14 years. But you know what I mean. Like, however many years I've been playing, that's how many years I've been designing my own decks. That's true. And whether or not they are successful, it's experience that I think will help me a lot in terms of being a better player You know, when I break down and do play a deck that is tier one. So when I say net decking, I don't mean what won the latest tournament, give me the list, and I'm building it. Although I guess that can play a part, and that can be the case sometimes, but in most cases... I'm actually, I actually mean using internet forums and discussion forums to kind of collectively come up with a deck or, or hear what other people have to say and their experiences with certain cards. So that's actually more along the lines of what I, I like to do. I can give an example from Lorwyn. When Lorwyn was coming out, I, as I mentioned earlier, Flash is one of my favorite abilities. And so when I saw the fairy cards that were being printed in Lorwyn, I wanted to build a fairies deck. I was trying to build blue-white fairies with momentary blink. This was something that it, yeah, it's probably obvious to a lot of people because momentary blink could you can blink, miss, bind, click, and repeatedly tap people down for their turns. So basically, a, a few turns of that and game over. So that was what I was trying to to do, and that was probably obvious to a lot of people. But that was an idea I came up with on my own, and I was trying on my own and posting it on forums on MTG Salvation and posting. Uh, my ideas alongside other people's ideas. 
eventually I I saw that black seemed like a better supplement to the fairy deck, as did a lot of people. But even then, I was playing blue-black fairies before Morning Tide, before anybody knew what that Bitter Blossom was coming. And I, I, I did fine at the tournaments with it, and so did a couple other p- people uh, at the tournaments at Legends. But my point is, it was uh, I'm not always just copying lists. It's more about discussing possibilities in decks and that's what i kind of refer to as net decking it's sort of maybe that's a bad you know for, for you i would definitely say that's true it's not true for a lot of people right you have definitely been one to utilize forums and to get into discussions with other people where i'm kind of just bullheaded and for some reason i, I can't do the the forum deck discussions all that much i, I don't know why like i value people's opinions but if I like a card and I like a strategy, I'm going to push forward with it and try it out. And I think that the main thing for me is just with like a forum, there are so many people on there that I don't like trying to like keep up with what everyone's saying. And I just feel like at times it can, it, it overwhelms me. And it's like too many cooks in the kitchen for me. You know what I mean? Like I'll talk to you about a deck and you'll tell me your ideas or I'll talk to Tim about a deck. But when it comes to like trying to ask the general public, which I guess is what I'm kind of doing with my blog, from even the blog is like a different kind of mindset for me. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's like some sort of mental block that keeps me out of the forums and out of discussing decks because it's just I look at the forum, I look at like a thousand different threads, and I just get intimidated and go, I don't know, I feel like trying to put something up here, and either nobody's gonna read it everybody's going to read it and give me so much advice that I don't wind up listening to any of it, or they're just going to look at my list. And this has happened to me a lot, and I think it's discouraged me. Someone will look at my list and go, take this out, this out, this out, this out, add this, 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 and this, and you have this net deck that somebody had just played. And I'm like, but I don't want to do that. I'm building my own deck. Right. You know, why should I? I'm like, if I wanted to play that deck, I would have just built that. Why are you telling me to take my deck that I created and to make it somebody else's deck? Right, and I think there's a, a fine line between suggesting people put better cards in their deck and suggesting so many things that it entirely changes the deck. Right. Um, and that's going to happen. It happens a lot. I mean, that, right. like, I'm sure it, that happens all the time. In my experience with actually doing, which is why I probably haven't done this in so long, like haven't gone on a forum and talked about my decks. Mm-hmm. Because I'll bring up a deck and people go, why are you playing with all of these cards? Here's the deck that's winning tournaments. And I'm like, I don't care. I'd rather win with my deck design. Right. And some people will say to that, well, if you want to win with your deck design, if you want to use those cards that you want to use, then why post here? And if you're not going to if you're not gonna be receptive to criticism. And so like, that's why I said it's a fine line. You have to kind of filter. I'm not fine lines. Right. Yeah. I'm not good at fine lines. It's like all or nothing for me. I'm, I'm very well, black and white. You have to filter the information. And what I've found with forums is a lot of times you can find a thread with kind of a similar idea to what you're doing anyway. Or, or if you post one and you read the responses to it, the intelligent people with well-thought-out responses will stand out to you. And you, if somebody who's just saying cut this and add this and with no explanation, um, you're going to tend to ignore that anyway. Or, or, you know, if they say it, you might think, oh, I never thought of that, and maybe you'll start thinking about it. But for the most part, people uh, on, on MTG Salvation, um, you know, certain people come to mind. There was a, a user, Shinjutsu, I assume I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, his real name is Chris Jobin. He used to write for MTG Salvation. He may still... But he recently started writing for Star City Games. He's a very active poster on MTG Salvation, and while a lot of times his posts could be harsh, I think a lot of people felt like he was maybe too critical. His responses were very well thought out, and a lot of his ideas were tested ideas. And so, you know, you take the information where you can get it, and, and this is obviously an intelligent, good player who's tested his ideas and can present them in a well-thought-out way uh, to make you see why he made the card choices that he did. Definitely. Like like I said, I don't discredit the use of forums, but in my experience, it was just too hard for me to be able to differentiate who was giving me sound advice and who was just trying to be a jerk and rip my deck apart. Right. Anyway, that's that's a bit of a healthy tangent. So let's move on to uh, something. I think that's actually pretty useful stuff. Yeah, I think it is too. But, but I think we maybe we should just say, you know, we're gonna continue it next time because it's already one. I gotta go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're exactly pretty much where I had thought 
the first era and the second era was going to be. We're like right up at the top of the. We started the back of the game after the longer break kind of time, right. and I think we can move through this stuff easier and faster, partly because it's more recent. So we're going to wrap it up here because this is going on way longer than we had expected. We are going to, uh, this is going to be cut down. And right now, just so you know, right now it says that we've been recording for an hour and a half, yeah. which this will not be an hour and a half long when it all comes down to it. It might be 45 minutes tops, but we're going to have to pick this up next time uh, just because Joe works overnight. And it's one in the afternoon, and he still hasn't slept. So it would be nice to let him go home and get some sleep. Plus, uh, NFL season starts tonight, and I want to wake up in time to watch the Steelers lose to the Titans. That's right. And I'm so glad that Joe came over here to record this podcast, because he reminded me that that game is tonight and that the season's starting. I need to get my roster set for my fantasy oh, league. Good call. So do I. Dude. <laughs> Although I think I'm just gonna leave it the default that it says. I think I think I'm good to go on mine. Um, so so that's about it for us for right now. We hope you enjoyed this uh, walk down memory lane, and uh, we will continue it with some more recent sets uh, next time, and hopefully it'll move a lot quicker next time as well because we'll be going through stuff that we actually remember. Well, well and also well that that could actually make for more uh, and longer tangents, but I think <laughs> it's stuff that. More importantly, things that uh, that most of our listeners would remember as well, because you know it, it's recent sets like Lorwin. So uh, I think there's going to be some passing references to that. So uh, let us know if uh, if you have any feedback, comments. Um, we made any mistakes, uh, anything. We're just we're new at this, so please uh, pardon any technical errors or just the fact that this is our first time doing this. So yeah, um, email us if you have any questions. My email is Joe Panuska, that's J-O-E-P-A-N-U-S-K-A at gmail.com. And my email address is Jalon, that's J-A-E-L-A-N at gmail.com. Um, and also, uh, if you're interested in reading some uh, written content, you can check out our blogs. Joe's is otherworldlyjourney.blogspot.com. And mine is affinityforislands.com. Oh, yeah. You actually have the, that's I, what you I, have the domain I name the now. domain name, yeah. Uh, Fancy bastard. So, uh, <laughs> so, yes, it's affinityforislands.com. And um, keep in mind, both of those are, are pretty new. And so there's, there's not a whole lot of archived content right now. But um, we're hoping to keep those updated regularly as well. We'll probably wind up doing a, a blog or, well... Since it's going to be hosted on MTG Cast, we're probably not going to bother with like our own site for for this podcast. Right. But you should, you should we'll, be getting this podcast on the MTG Cast feed. Right, but we'll be putting it on our own blogs. Right. At so, least linking to it. Right. Exactly. Have we covered all our bases for today? When we come back next time, we're going to talk about Odyssey through today, and we're going to talk about what we've been what we've done for that time and like Joe said it should go a little faster. So um thanks for listening. That's it. Yo MTG Taps. And we will have an intro song, I swear to you. Uh just not yet. We've got to work on that. Yeah. Bye.